Welcome to the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. The rise of AI presents important legal and ethical challenges for society. In this podcast, we invite leaders from different industries and creators of new AI to debate the big questions. This is the AI Asia Pacific Institute podcast. Sani Golzer Karat served as Director for Gender Equality at UNESCO from September 2004 to August 2020. She is the lead author of the landmark 2019 study, I'd Blush If I Could, Closing Gender Divides in Digital Skills in Education, which found widespread inadvertent gender bias in the most popular artificial intelligence tools for consumers and businesses. This report sparked a global conversation with the technology sector, culminating in a keynote address at the 2019 Web Summit in Libsyn, the largest annual global technology conference. As a result of her report and address, Golzer was interviewed by more than 600 media outlets around the world, including the BBC, CNN, CBS, ABC, NYT, The Guardian, Forbes, and Time. She published UNESCO's follow-up research in August 2020. This report, Artificial Intelligence and Gender Equality, is based on a dialogue with experts from the private sector and civil society and sets forth proposed elements for a framework on gender equality and AI for further consideration, discussions, and elaboration amongst various stakeholders. The Digital Future Society named Golser one of the top 10 women leaders in technology for 2020. During her tenure at UNESCO, Golser launched special campaigns and programs for girls' education in STEM and digital skills, the safety of women journalists, and the advancement of women in science. She successfully led change at UNESCO, convincing the 195 member states to recognize gender equity as a global priority for the organization, and achieving gender pariety among senior leadership that stood at a mere 9% when she joined UNESCO. Golser is a TED and international keynote speaker. She serves on the boards of Women's Leadership Academy, China, International Advisory Committee for Diversity Promotion, Kobe University, Japan, UPenn Law School Global Women's Leadership Project, USA, and Exponent, a global gender equality incubator. Based in Paris, she is a strategic advisor to Cooper Smith Law and Strategy for Technology, Education, Multilaterals, and Gender Equality. She speaks Turkish, English, and French. With you now, the host for this podcast, Kelly Forbes. Hi, Sunny. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you for inviting me. I'm very grateful that you're taking the time to speak to us today. Thank you. And, and so um, your work has been fascinating on the intersection of artificial intelligence and gender equality. Um, and so I think probably a good place for us to start this conversation is by inviting you to share more about this work 
and, and how this led to the publication of the last two reports, I would blush if I could, in 2019, and the most recent one on artificial intelligence and gender equality. Well, thank you, uh, Kelly. Uh, so a little bit of uh, background uh, for the work. Uh, I uh, was the director for gender equality at UNESCO uh, for the last 16 years. Uh, and uh, as a result of my responsibility area, I have been working on the intersection of gender equality in all UNESCO domains. Uh, for those who may not know much about UNESCO, just uh, a few words uh, uh, to uh, describe the organization. It's a specialized United Nations agency, uh, which was founded in 1945. It has 193 member states uh, with uh, 54 offices around the world, and our headquarters are in Paris, uh, in France. Uh, so UNESCO works in uh, uh, different areas. Uh, education is uh, one of our biggest uh, areas of work. Uh, we have the sciences, culture, communication and information, and the oceans. Uh, I think we are more known for our work in the area of culture because of UNESCO cultural heritage sites, uh, but education is our largest sector, both in terms of the budget allocation and in terms of uh, human resources. So as the director for gender equality, uh, which uh, is a global priority for UNESCO since 2007, it was my responsibility to make sure that all our programs and all our initiatives uh, consistently and systematically integrate a gender equality perspective. Uh, so in that uh, framework, uh, I was always uh, uh, leading efforts to, do, to conduct research in uh, emerging areas, to uh, come up with uh, empirical evidence, uh, uh, policy research, uh, to help uh, our uh, main interlocutors, which are the governments, uh, to uh, improve, uh, modify, change policies. So the work on uh, uh, that led to the publication of the two reports that you mentioned, I'd blush if I could in March 2019, and uh, Artificial Intelligence and Gender Equality in August 2020, they came about as a result of a three-year research program that I uh, started and uh, led. And it was uh, really lucky because we had uh, funding from uh, the German government to, to do this work. And the work started as uh, an attempt to look at the widening gender gap in the digital space because we already had some evidence, mounting evidence actually, uh, that there's a growing gap in the digital space and uh, women and girls were 25% uh, less likely to know how to leverage digital technology for basic purposes. Uh, women and girls were four times less likely to know how to program computers. And we were also observing an alarming trend in the percentage of girls and women uh, studying science-related subjects, uh, which we call STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. 
including computer science and uh, information communication technologies. Just to give you an example, uh, we knew that uh, in the United States uh, only, in the mid-1980s, 35% of computer science students were women, uh, whereas in the mid-2000s, this percentage uh, went down to 17%. It almost halved. Wow. Yeah, so it, the uh, uh, evidence was uh, ki uh, quite uh, uh, alarming, but also counterintuitive because, you know, we were thinking that uh, with uh, uh, advances in technology, with advances in, uh, especially in the uh, digital uh, area, uh, education would be more uh, accessible uh, even to those who were uh, uh, more difficult to reach and the reverse was happening. Uh, so we thought that it would be important to look at the reasons uh, why and uh, we wanted to find out the, the structural causes of this uh, uh, development to be able to make informed uh, policy recommendations uh, to the governments that uh, we work with. Uh, so in, in terms of our uh, research, uh, we started by looking at uh, the digital gender gap. Uh, and in fact, uh, the report, uh, I'd blush if I could, uh, has uh, three sections. The first section is about the uh, digital gender gap. We look at uh, uh, the reasons for the gap and we make uh, uh, quite a few recommendations on how to address this. Uh, gap and we have recommendations for governments, for the private sector, for the educators, uh, the academia and you know different stakeholders. While conducting that research on the digital gender gap, uh, and I should uh, maybe uh, mention one finding, we found that uh, as uh, we uh, had more advances in technology, what was the biggest problem in the beginning, which was access to the digital space was being eclipsed by uh, a, a gap in digital skills. So women uh, and girls uh, had some issues in terms of access, but the access issue was not the most significant one in terms of uh, the trends that we were observing. The main problem was the uh, uh, digital skills gap. Uh, women and girls were really falling behind in terms of uh, their uh, skills set. And of course, this is a very important issue because uh, if we, uh, uh, since we know that uh, only in Europe, 95% of the jobs in the uh, formal labor market today require some sort of, uh, some level of digital skills. Of course, in the next few years, uh, uh, this percentage uh, will go even higher. So if girls and women are falling behind in terms of digital skills, this will have a very significant impact on their uh, uh, access to decent uh, uh, formal, sec uh, formal labor market jobs. And of course, uh, uh, there will be uh, very serious consequences for women's economic empowerment and gender equality efforts uh, in general. So this was a very important issue for us. And uh, while looking at uh, the causes and the reasons and the uh, uh, possible uh, uh, measures to uh, address this issue, we observed two other phenomena. One is what we called uh, the ICT uh, paradox. 
uh, it's uh, uh, about uh, I'll I'll tell you more about it, uh, but it's really uh, basically uh, a finding that shows that countries with higher levels of gender equality uh, have uh, lower percentages of women uh, going into advanced ICT studies, and the reverse is true. Countries with lower levels of uh, gender equality have uh, uh, more women uh, studying these uh, fields. And the second observation we uh, uh, made was about uh, the voice assistance, artificial uh, intelligence-powered voice assistance, uh, more specifically the gendering of the voice assistance, uh, which uh, uh, we found uh, uh, was leading to several issues in terms of uh, stereotyping, uh, exacerbating the uh, gender bias that already exists in terms of how women and girls uh, should be and should behave and uh, should do. Uh, so the first report uh, included uh, the findings on the digital gender gap, as well as the ICT paradox and the uh, gendering of the uh, voice assistants. Uh, and it made such a splash uh, when we uh, published it uh, in March 2019 uh, that uh, we were inundated by requests uh, from the media uh, from around the world, uh, including very uh, major media uh, sources, uh, BBC, CNN, CBC, CBS, uh, and also the print media from the uh, Guardian to the New York Times to the Washington Post uh, and, and you know all the other uh, media outlets in different countries. We had uh, close to 650 uh, requests for interviews uh, to explain our findings. What was interesting was that uh, many of the media uh, that contacted us uh, to explore, uh, uh, to talk more about our findings, apparently also contacted uh, the companies that we named in the report uh, to get their comment, and uh, they all declined, which uh, indicated to us that uh, our findings were actually uh, true, and uh, they were not uh, really, they were not in a position to uh, perhaps uh, address them uh, right away. So that gave us the idea to uh, start uh, a conversation with the private sector. I was invited to a conference uh, in November 2019 in Portugal. Uh, it's called the Web Summit. It brings up together about 70,000 uh, uh, people who work in that uh, space. And I was given the opportunity to uh, to, uh, take, uh, to be the only speaker in a fireside chat uh, with uh, a very well-known uh, journalist uh, uh, from Spain uh, to start the conversation about this uh, gendering of AI and the gender bias in AI. Uh, this uh, event uh, was uh, almost uh, the instigator of the next report. Uh, we wanted to follow up the first report uh, uh, with a big conference uh, to, to be organized in Paris, France, uh, to engage in a dialogue with uh, representatives of the uh, key companies in the technology sector, uh, and also some academics and uh, representatives from 
uh, think tanks. Uh, we organized this conference to take place on the uh, uh, 6th of March uh, this year in 2020. Unfortunately, uh, five days before the conference uh, could take place, we had to cancel it uh, because of COVID uh, situation uh, that was becoming very serious in France. And uh, many of our uh, invited guests were not in a position, were not allowed to travel uh, by their companies. Uh, so uh, because the funding from the German government that allowed uh, all this research uh, had a deadline, uh, we were supposed to use all the funding by the end of uh, the summer in 2020. Uh, we uh, could not uh, really uh, reschedule the conference. Uh, as you know, things have not gone back to normal. In France, there are still serious restrictions on the number of people who can uh, gather in one uh, place. In any case, people are not able to travel. Uh, and I didn't really want to do uh, a virtual conference because I thought uh, that would be, uh, that would defeat the purpose because what we wanted was to bring people together in, in the same uh, physical space uh, to allow for uh, lively exchange and uh, meaningful follow-up. So instead, uh, we decided to uh, reorient uh, the work uh, that was supposed to take place uh, at this conference and organize a virtual dialogue with some of the invited guests. So during the months of April, May and June, I conducted uh, uh, virtual uh, uh, conversations uh, with uh, some of the industry uh, representatives and also representatives from other concerned uh, areas. And the second report that we published uh, at the end of August is the result of that uh, uh, virtual uh, conversation, along with some uh, research uh, on, uh, in, on mapping the field. Uh, we wanted to see what is already out there available uh, in terms of uh, evidence, in terms of thinking on gender equality specifically and artificial intelligence. So this is uh, kind of the, uh, the story of the two reports and how they came about. I'm really very pleased uh, that uh, UNESCO was the uh, leader uh, in terms of uh, starting the conversation and continuing the conversation specifically on gender equality and artificial uh, frontier technologies in general, but artificial intelligence in particular. What we are hoping is that all this work that uh, we have been doing in the last uh, three years uh, will feed into uh, the work that is ongoing at UNESCO, which is about uh, uh, drafting a recommendation uh, on the ethics of AI, because we want to make sure that uh, that recommendation, the framework that's being developed has a very strong and very uh, uh, solid uh, gender equality framework. Thank you very much for that background. Um, and so I believe we are going to spend more time during this conversation covering the think pace one section of the report, which I believe you probably explain a little bit more about what that is. Um, for the benefit of people not familiar with the report yet, um, can you give us um, some background about 
uh, how I would blush if I could has been prepared and divided. Sure. So uh, I blush if I could uh, uh, is uh, really a report about uh, strategies uh, to close the gender divide, the gender gap in uh, digital skills. And the first part of the report, which is a policy brief, is really intended for the education sector in, in our uh, member uh, countries, uh, for the ministries of education in, in our countries. Uh, so the uh, first part is about the, the reasons for the uh, uh, gender gap in the digital space and what can be done uh, from an education perspective uh, to try to close that gap. Uh, then we have the two think pieces that I uh, mentioned uh, before. The first uh, think piece uh, is called uh, the ICT gender equality paradox. And it explains the finding that countries with the highest levels of gender equality, such as those in Western Europe, also have the lowest uh, uh, percentage of women pursuing advanced degrees in computer science and related subjects. Conversely, uh, the countries with low levels of gender equality, such as those in the uh, uh, Gulf region, have the highest proportions of women uh, completing advanced technology degrees. The second think piece, uh, which is the third part of the report, examines how AI voice assistants uh, projected as uh, young women perpetuate harmful gender biases, and it offers recommendations to ensure that the continued proliferation of digital assistance uh, does not uh, widen the uh, gender divides. The name of the report uh, is uh, interesting. Uh, it comes from uh, the response uh, given by Siri, uh, a female gendered voice assistant used by hundreds of millions of people around the world. Uh, when a human user would uh, tell her, hey, Siri, you are a bitch, uh, this is the response she used to give. She would say, I'd blush if I could. So uh, we thought that uh, this would be a good for the report. And I must say this, this was uh, uh, decided by my team. Uh, it was a, a wonderful team uh, who worked on this, on the three different uh, parts of the report. Uh, but I thought that it was really, it was really quite uh, uh, innovative because usually UN reports, uh, reports that come out of the United Nations are very dry, very, uh, you know, very uh, uh, serious uh, and uh, quite uh, uh, not with a lot of uh, sense of humor. So uh, we got uh, a lot of uh, comments about the title and how catchy it was and it also piqued uh, uh, people's curiosity and I got many questions about uh, why, uh, why this title. So it comes from a response that used to be uh, given by Siri. They have uh, since then uh, changed the, the response. Yeah, it's a very creative way of giving an introduction about what the report was about. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so uh, the uh, gender equality, uh, uh, the ICT uh, paradox uh, uh, is actually, uh, it was a 
surprising finding for us because uh, we thought that uh, we would see a, a positive correlation between uh, the level of gender equality in uh, a given uh, society and the percentage of uh, women in that uh, sector, both in terms of education, but also in terms of the uh, job market. Uh, we found uh, just the opposite, uh, and it was a finding that was uh, similar uh, to the phenomenon that was observed by researchers uh, uh, in another uh, research program, uh, which uh, found that high levels of uh, gender equality uh, also had some of the highest uh, STEM gaps, uh, science, technology, engineering, mathematics gaps, in secondary and tertiary education. Uh, so the uh, uh, gap exists uh, at both the uh, uh, different levels of education, uh, and it's also reflected uh, in the job market. Uh, one of the striking examples was Belgium, which had uh, very low, uh, lo lower than 10% uh, uh, women in, the, uh, in ICT studies. Uh, as opposed to a country in the Gulf area like uh, Kuwait or Bahrain, where you had, uh, you know, 45, 48% women in that field. I must say that uh, having more women with uh, uh, advanced ICT degrees in the Gulf region did not necessarily mean that uh, these women were active in the uh, uh, labor market. In fact, uh, there was quite a disconnect uh, in terms of the uh, uh, graduates, uh, ICT, advanced ICT uh, graduates, and the presence uh, of uh, women in the labor market. So that was not the finding, but just the mere fact that uh, in education there was such a gap uh, in terms of uh, uh, gender equality. Uh, uh, it's quite an unexpected result as well in comparison. Very unexpected, mm. very unexpected. Now, because this was uh, not the main focus of our research, we couldn't go any uh, further uh, in terms of our uh, exploration of the reasons. Uh, so we really don't know why this is happening. Uh, uh, we had other research in the past uh, in terms of uh, girls' uh, uh, enrollment in STEM areas uh, in secondary level. Uh, so we can make some, uh, uh, we can have some speculation about uh, the reasons, but what we know from our previous research is that uh, the reasons are very context specific. Uh, so it may be uh, due to uh, parents' uh, preferences, it may be due to uh, systemic reason, uh, causes in the education system in a given uh, country. It may be because of uh, uh, peer pressure, which we see a lot uh, in terms of uh, girls uh, not uh, enrolling in science-related subjects in the, uh, during secondary level, when they are very much uh, influenced by peer pressure. And uh, we know that in many contexts, uh, girls in that age group do not want to be seen as nerds because uh, those who study uh, science-related subjects uh, are labeled as nerds or geeks. You know, uh, there are many uh, uh, adjectives used for them. And they want to be accepted and liked and uh, uh, they want to be found attractive 
uh, by their peers. So they don't want to go in, into that field. We know from our earlier research that teachers can be a very important factor in uh, getting uh, girls uh, uh, not interested in science-related subjects. Uh, our research in uh, other areas has found that uh, teachers unconsciously call more on boys in those uh, uh, discipline, uh, disciplines and when they have classes uh, uh, dealing with mathematics or physics or chemistry. And uh, another very important reason is lack of role models. Uh, because, uh, you know, you, uh, when you're young, you identify with what you see around you. And if you do, do not see many uh, women scientists, uh, it's not uh, an area that uh, automatically uh, comes to mind when you want to, when you are in a position to decide what you are going to study. We also uh, suggested that uh, uh, it may be interesting to look at the uh, the technology industry in a given uh, country and the availability of uh, ICT, advanced ICT uh, studies in the same country because there may be some disconnect there too. Uh, so what we were able to do in that report uh, was just to propose some areas for further research. Uh, and indicate that uh, this is an observation that uh, we made, uh, but it's also an observation that was uh, made by other uh, research projects in uh, other contexts. Right. So what is the ICT gender equality paradox? You mentioned that um, a little bit in the beginning there. Can you tell us more about what that is? And what are UNESCO's main findings there? Uh, so the paradox is uh, that uh, there is an inverse relationship uh, between uh, uh, the develop gender development level of a country in terms of gender equality indicators and the percentage of women who have, uh, who pursue advanced uh, ICT uh, studies. Uh, the higher the uh, level of uh, gender equality, uh, the lower the percentage of women. Uh, and this is especially striking in Western Europe. Uh, we have uh, a chart uh, in the report uh, that shows uh, where countries are placed. Uh, as I mentioned before, Belgium uh, is uh, one of the lowest uh, in uh, Western Europe, uh, with, with, I believe it's uh, uh, 6%. Any, and, any particular uh, reason why that's the case? Why Belgium? Why Belgium? We don't know. I, I mm -hmm. really, uh, I think we do need to uh, find uh, some funding to do mm -hmm. more uh, uh, research uh, on the ground. Uh, more, uh, for, you know, uh, research uh, both in terms of uh, attitudes, uh, you know, in uh, regarding gender roles, uh, in terms of uh, uh, STEM er studies that are offered in the uh, education system at different levels uh, in Belgium. Belgium is a complicated country because of the language issue. You know, they have uh, uh, different regions, so it may also be 
related to uh, regional differences, the fact that universities are also uh, more language-based. Uh, so, as I mentioned, we didn't really have the possibility to delve deeper into the reasons. We just uh, saw that, uh, you know, uh, this was happening. Uh, in uh, the Gulf region, I think, uh, you know, uh, there may be reasons that have to do with uh, uh, women uh, more interested in going into tertiary studies and higher uh, post-university studies, because uh, in some countries, this is also true for Central Europe, uh, men uh, want to uh, leave school and get into business uh, because business is valued uh, more in terms of its money-making potential. Uh, so academic uh, studies uh, are left uh, uh, more accessible uh, for women. Uh, it may also uh, have to do with uh, uh, families' preferences. Uh, of course, uh, in Western Europe, you expect uh, more families to want uh, their children to study uh, science-related topics and uh, technology-related topics because, uh, you know, the job market is going in that direction. Uh, but it's not happening. And uh, I really think there is a serious need to, to look at it uh, more carefully and maybe... Uh, having partnerships with national uh, research institutions uh, would be the path to go because UNESCO is not in a position to conduct this research uh, in uh, many of these countries for lack of human resources, lack of budgetary resources. But I think uh, there is uh, a good potential for collaboration between international organizations and uh, uh, think tanks, national think tanks, uh, national research institutions, and of course universities uh, to uh, conduct more research. Uh, what can be done to address it? Uh, I mean, I think uh, uh, find, knowing that there is a problem and raising awareness about the problem are the first steps uh, in solving uh, any uh, uh, issue. So, uh, I hope that uh, our report shed some light uh, uh, on this phenomenon, which is uh, substantiated by other research conducted by uh, different groups in different parts of the world. Uh, there is a problem, and it's, a, it's not only uh, a pipeline problem, it's not only in the education system at different levels, but it's also a problem in the uh, workforce. Yeah, I think the education system is a foundation there, right? And we do know that a lot is coming from there, but um, in a way with AI, for example, a lot of the problems that we have with bias or inequality, it's, it's coming uh, because of these foundations that we have, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it also signals the, uh, uh, the disconnect in some ways uh, between the education uh, system planning on the one hand and uh, the uh, uh, labor market. Uh, because, you know, when, when I look around, uh, we go through these uh, uh, phases of uh, people uh, wanting to go into very specific fields of study. 
for a while, for a long time, uh, an MBA, a Master of Business Administration was what everybody wanted to study. Before that, uh, you know, with, for my age group, for my generation, industrial engineering uh, was new and uh, uh, it was the most popular uh, area, especially for young men, because, you know, with industrial engineering, you had the engineer title, but you didn't have to do any real engineering. It was more, uh, you know, people who, who became uh, managers, senior level managers in uh, companies in different sectors. Uh, so every uh, decade or every uh, two decades, we have this area that becomes very popular. Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to see that there is a growing interest in technology uh, and it's uh, really uh, uh, in every part of the world and uh, it's uh, uh, getting more recognized that it's not a gender uh, specific area because that's one of the reasons why we do not have enough uh, girls and women uh, studying these subjects. It's becoming more uh, known that uh, you have to know, you have to have a certain level of digital skills if you ever want to be uh, competitive in the labor market, in the job market. Without that, you cannot do it. Uh, I see that uh, there are new areas of studies, uh, you, especially at the tertiary level, which are becoming very popular. I was thinking that you know, if I had uh, the chance to study again, I would uh, absolutely go into data science because it's uh, the field yes. uh, where you can yes. uh, make uh, a lot of uh, uh, positive contributions uh, to the development of technology, especially AI. Uh, so I think it's important uh, for the education sector to uh, really follow uh, what is happening in the, uh, uh, in the real world. I know of one country where, you know, the government uh, makes a, a study every 10 years to see what they will need more of in, their, in the job market and uh, adjusts the university uh, taken for students on that basis. Uh, so I think that's something that can be uh, perhaps uh, uh, adapted uh, by, uh, by different uh, countries, uh, ministries, and also higher learning institutions. Essentially. I'm a big believer on an interdisciplinary approach of bringing people from just different disciplines to be exposed to other disciplines. So um, there's a university here that we're collaborating with, um, which is, um, has recently created a center for students to uh, be exposed to, you know, this new world of AI or other emerging technologies that otherwise they wouldn't, right? So, you know, for the first time you have large students that are learning about AI or other technologies, which is so important because the reality is that these technologies are disrupting um, every industry, right? And, and unless they, they learn to, you know, um, new skills and how to adapt, I think that's the future. I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, uh, one of the, uh, uh, agree one of the uh, points we agreed on uh, 
after we had the conversation with the representatives from the technology sector and the academia was uh, precisely that. Interdisciplinarity is essential now more than ever. You cannot really say that uh, technology is the uh, remit of uh, uh, technologists uh, because technology is being used uh, for humans and technology does not happen outside of human beings. It's not something that is created only technically. It's created uh, uh, for use by humans it's created within the uh, parameters of a society by people who are uh, affected and conditioned uh, by, the, by the realities of that society. Uh, so you cannot say, okay, we only need uh, data scientists or uh, mechanical engineers or computer scientists. You really need to have uh, eth ethicists you need to have uh, gender equality specialists uh, because what, what strikes me the most uh, uh, when I talk to people from the technology sector is how much they need to, they can learn from a gender equality specialist in terms of uh, making the quality of their product uh, inclusive and uh, uh, usable by a larger group. Uh, so it's, uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I studied uh, at the university, we all had to take uh, a course, a full year course on humanities. And this was a mandatory course for everybody from social science to the engineering faculty to the uh, uh, medical school. Everybody had to take that course. And I think now it's uh, also uh, critical that everybody knows about uh, soft issues because uh, soft issues are uh, the uh, area where we fail uh, in terms of uh, uh, the development of these uh, frontier technologies. Yeah, and it's also the area that's going to become more and more critical. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so UNESCO has also just released a new report, as you mentioned, on artificial intelligence and gender equality. And that report sets forth proposed elements of a framework on gender equality and AI. So for further consideration, right? Discussion and elaboration. Um, mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about this work and its main recommendations? Absolutely. Uh, so, as I mentioned before, uh, building on the momentum of the first report, I'd blush if I could, uh, and the uh, subsequent conversations uh, that uh, we had uh, with different stakeholders, <clears throat> we thought that uh, this, uh, this area uh, was one that required uh, closer attention, uh, because there's a lot of work uh, in different, uh, uh, in different uh, sectors uh, about uh, developing uh, ethical frameworks, about developing uh, principles. Uh, but we, uh, we thought that there is really no uh, one or no group which is focusing very specifically on uh, gender equality. Because when you talk to different uh, uh, 
people from uh, different walks of life who are interested in this area. You also see that uh, we use the same terms, uh, but the uh, meaning uh, ascribed to the terms uh, is not always the same. So we talk about ethics, but we don't have a commonly agreed understanding of what this means. And it's also the problem with gender equality. And we thought that since uh, UNESCO has gender equality as a global priority, and we have been working on gender equality specifically uh, in every UNESCO domain, this is something we should uh, focus on uh, as an input into the broader discussion on the uh, uh, ethical, ethical AI, AI for good. I mean, there are so many different terms that people use, uh, AI for human rights, uh, but what do they mean really? And uh, what do you need to do to make sure that uh, uh, AI has a very strong and consistent and uh, meaningful uh, gender equality perspective? So that's the purpose of the report. And the report uh, is a compilation of uh, research. Uh, we looked at what exists uh, out there already to uh, do a mapping uh, in order not to uh, duplicate efforts. Uh, and we also wanted to talk to some people who are uh, leading uh, the work in these areas. So we, we talked to, to people from the technology sector itself, uh, some academics and some think tanks. One of the uh, first uh, uh, recommendations is that uh, we really need to shift the narrative of AI as something external, as something you know, uh, exclusively technical uh, or technologically deterministic uh, to something that is human, which is uh, what I mentioned uh, before. So it's not happening to us, but it is created, directed, controlled by us. And consequently, it reflects our values and our biases. We really have to understand that technology does not happen outside of us. Uh, we, we make it happen. Mm. It's the humans who, who work uh, to uh, put it together. Yeah, so essentially uh, taking back control. Absolutely. And then uh, uh, some of the key recommendations, especially uh, pertaining to gender equality, uh, are we really have to strengthen gender equality in AI principles. Uh, when I talk to different uh, people, I heard a lot about uh, you know, ethics. I heard a lot about uh, AI for good. I heard uh, AI for uh, uh, human rights. Uh, but there is really nothing out there that ex explains, unpacks what gender equality uh, means for AI. Uh, so we need to look at gender equality as a way of thinking, as a lens, which is what we do at UNESCO, and as a constant. So it's not a checklist. You don't do gender equality in only one stage of the process and then sit back and say, okay, we have looked at gender equality. It's done. Uh, we can now move uh, ahead. And to be able to integrate gender equality into every step of the process, because there's the technology uh, design, the, the, the development, the uh, application, uh, the deployment, uh, it's all uh, value chain. So you cannot uh, do it in one and then hope that it will spill over 
uh, or trickle down to all the others. It absolutely does not happen. Uh, and we know that from uh, other fields as well. So uh, another recommendation is to ensure the participation of gender equality practitioners, uh, affected groups, and organizations working on specific discipline areas uh, to the development and implementation of uh, AI, of any technology for that matter. We, so to be able to do that, we need to make gender equality more explicit and we need to position gender equality principles in a way that would uh, provide for greater accountability. It is one of the areas that is really critical for uh, success in terms of integrating gender equality into anything, not only technology, not only AI. Unless you have accountability, you can be sure that it will not happen. And then we need to unpack and, and substantiate uh, contradictory disciplines because uh, principles, because at the moment everybody is developing principles. And sometimes we have principles in one area uh, that uh, do not uh, uh, work with principles in, in another area. So we really need to look at uh, principles in an intersectional manner. Uh, to make sure that as a whole they make sense and as a whole they are uh, implementable uh, so and and we can uh, create a structure of accountability for the whole set uh, not for uh, parts of it and also we need to make sure that we understand gender equality uh, not only in terms of uh, promoting gender equality and not causing harm, because not causing harm is the absolute minimum, but also to highlight the uh, gendered uh, implications of AI in a way uh, so that AI can be used to promote this uh, value, to promote this objective, uh, and that it can be used to benefit uh, women, uh, to empower them, uh, not uh, just, uh, you know, uh, leave them on the side. Uh, we need to increase uh, awareness in the AI industry regarding the negative implications of AI for girls and women, because until we wrote the report, uh, we published the report, I'd blush if I could, uh, it was really not uh, talked about uh, mm. or noticed. And in fact, I was quite uh, uh, gratified when uh, uh, all the journalists uh, I, I uh, interacted with and all the other uh, people I interacted with told me that they realized there was a problem after they read the report and I, after they heard us uh, talk about it. Interesting, uh, isn't I, it? It was probably the first time that these issues came to light. Absolutely. And I still have uh, here from... Uh, uh, colleagues and friends who tell me that they have discussions with their husbands, with their grown sons, uh, who do not understand what we are talking about as UNESCO. And then I, I explain again, and it's, it's a fascinating yeah. process. Uh, we also need to expand the digital literacy uh, to, uh, to attract attention uh, to the issue of algorithms for women and girls. So it's not only, you know, 
voice assistants who are gendered, which are causing the problem. But one of the biggest problems today is the lack of representativeness of the data that is being used for machine learning. Mm -hmm. And I, uh, I, I recently uh, uh, became aware of a problem uh, with COVID, COVID-19. Uh, I was doing some uh, uh, reading on uh, COVID-19 and how countries are reporting on the uh, effects of uh, COVID-19 on uh, different genders. There are many countries which do not provide uh, sex uh, disaggregated data. They talk about uh, infections, uh, mortality, but they do not uh, give information about uh, women and men girls and boys and other genders. Uh, and when, so it's a huge problem because when you feed that data in uh, to do anything about COVID-19, your data will not be representative because you do not have the, uh, the essential. And, and I will probably add that um, COVID-19 has really brought a lot of these issues to light in regards to inequality, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So the, uh, what we are uh, looking at is not only lack of uh, uh, participation of women in the development of the technology, which is a big issue. Uh, less than 20% women are uh, employed in uh, these technology companies in the development of the technology itself. So, you know, what you get is uh, uh, technology and products uh, developed by uh, young, usually white males who come from uh, a similar uh, educational background who bring their own uh, biases and assumptions into the work that they do. Uh, there's a very good uh, uh, expression used by uh, uh, one of the uh, leading women in the AI sector. Uh, she says, uh, bias in, bias out. So when you put bias into the uh, machine learning, it's inevitable that uh, what you will get from the machine, which you created yeah. with your uh, own assumptions and yeah, bias. Yeah. Yeah, it will be we, biased. We can't forget the whole history of women and how it has been biased the whole way, right? Absolutely. Uh, maybe just a, a few things, uh, a few recommendations uh, for the uh, businesses, uh, because uh, the second report was more uh, uh, geared towards uh, a dialogue with the private sector and the uh, businesses. Uh, we uh, recommend that uh, the least they can do is that the, they, the AIs that they develop or implement must not uh, cause harm. And this will require proactive mitigation, uh, monitoring, and bringing to light uh, negative real world impacts. Uh, so uh, they should also be aware of the fact that some things may not be able to be fixed. Uh, so it's better uh, really uh, to abandon those projects. And I, I have to mention one in that uh, area, Amazon's recruitment software. Uh, they abandoned it because it was found to be uh, creating and producing uh, bias. 
so monitoring is uh, really critical and monitoring at every stage of the process. Uh, and uh, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, making sure that there are very strong uh, account and, and enforceable accountability uh, mechanisms. And finally, uh, we recommend that uh, businesses think about uh, not only minimizing harm, uh, but also uh, making an effort to challenge norms and stereotypes uh, to be able to uh, contribute to this uh, struggle for gender equality, which we have not achieved anywhere in the world, even though we have been trying for over 100 years. Uh, and uh, with the recent trends, uh, we see that uh, there are serious backlashes, serious uh, uh, limitations, uh, which are even curtailing hard-earned uh, gains. Uh, so it's uh, very important to be vigilant about the impact of AI on, uh, uh, gender, on perpetuating gender biases and gender stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So awareness, monitoring, the accountability that you're referring to, is that, is that sufficient that we look internally, companies look internally towards this? Or do you believe that we need some type of outside regulation or system to address these problems? Well, this is the million dollar question. Yes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. <laughs> I mean, uh, of course, uh, it has to be done at different levels. And I think it's really uh, important and critical for companies to be aware of this and to do whatever, everything that they can uh, to address it uh, in their own system. Uh, AI is a very difficult uh, area for an external uh, control mechanism. Uh, because uh, it's the again it's the intersection of the private sector governments uh, it's uh, national but also regional and also global uh, and uh, you know in the absence of uh, uh, a global uh, uh, framework that could be enforced uh, it's very difficult to achieve uh, now the UN is one place where uh, such uh, frameworks are developed and uh, uh, used uh, as you know legal instruments, uh, but in this case, I, I, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, as I mentioned in the beginning, UNESCO was mandated by its member countries uh, last uh, November during the general conference of the member states. Uh, to develop a recommendation. Uh, so the, the key word is recommendation because uh, UNESCO is not uh, in a position to enforce it. It's, it can only recommend and monitor and report. Uh, so I think uh, uh, one of the uh, critical uh, difficulties uh, with AI is that it's, uh, you know, we don't know how it can be monitored and enforced at different levels. <clears throat> of course, with uh, you know, national uh, governments uh, are also trying uh, on their side. Uh, but as you know, as uh, this development happens, uh, 
outside of national boundaries or beyond national boundaries, uh, that poses a challenge too. From my perspective, because this is the area I have uh, been focusing on, uh, the, the part I'm most worried about is the uh, uh, gender equality, gendering of AI. Uh, and I think uh, this is uh, one area where I think it would be very important to have some uh, principles, some uh, uh, guiding uh, points that would be accepted by all and uh, respected by all. Uh, because uh, what we see, especially with COVID-19, as you mentioned, uh, AI and voice assistance will be used more and more. You know, the less, uh, the, the more we want to avoid uh, touching surfaces, uh, making uh, contact that would uh, lead to the uh, uh, virus being uh, uh, passed on, uh, we are going to use more voice assistance. Uh, so it's important that we fix the problem which is already there uh, before we move forward. And it's now, it's not tomorrow, it's not uh, in five years, it's today. And uh, I also learned uh, through my conversations with the industry leaders uh, that, uh, you know, uh, AI, voice assistants, robots are going to become uh, more and more uh, uh, relevant and uh, present in our lives. Uh, so if we uh, want to make sure that technology is for the good of all uh, to uh, support and promote uh, values that we all uh, want to have, uh, we really need to look at it uh, uh, with uh, a very uh, strong gender equality uh, intersectionality, uh, human rights, and ethical perspective. And all of those things need to be unpacked, uh, defined, so everybody agrees what we mean uh, when we say uh, ethical Ethics. AI or uh, AI for good or AI uh, for with gender equality. Yes. Yes, I absolutely agree. I think we need to look at this in the same way that we've dealt with human rights. So by having an international approach to it. Right. Um, so I think you just covered some of the things I was going to ask, which is, you know, covering the challenges in the industry in adopting such a framework and moving from theory to practice. But I think it's interesting to, you know, one question that I was thinking here is, um, you know, um, so when the report, when the first report came, um, I think it was the first call to the industry that there was a problem. What have you seen in the industry? Have you seen any improvement? We do hear of, um, you know, some of the big tech companies, for example, introduce the male voice to the yeah. assistants, right? And I, and I think that probably was, the report gave some type of encouragement for them to do that. Yes. You know, we did see uh, a lot of uh, change. Uh, I, I don't know if we can attribute it all to the, the report uh, we published. Uh, I think the, some of the companies were already working on some improvements. But I do agree the report was a wake-up call. 
and I'm really uh, uh, very proud and uh, honored to be part of uh, uh, that uh, research, uh, to lead that research, uh, because I think uh, it was important to uh, draw attention uh, to what was happening. Uh, many uh, voice assistants uh, can now uh, have an alter, you know, uh, can be changed uh, to a male voice. Alexa is the only one which is still uh, exclusively female, by the way. Uh, then uh, many companies uh, also uh, uh, are uh, experimenting with uh, uh, what they call a genderless voice. Uh, so it's uh, neither female nor male, uh, but there is a problem there because, uh, you know, as we use uh, voice assistance uh, more in different applications, uh, and especially uh, in the area of healthcare and uh, elderly uh, care, uh, it may be inevitable that uh, there, you know, there will be some preference for uh, female voices. Uh, so in that respect, uh, one of the recommendations we made in the uh, first report uh, in I'd Blush If I Could was to make sure that uh, uh, this was made uh, very explicit from the start that the voice was from a machine, not a human voice, because uh, uh, we thought that that would also uh, help distinguish uh, for the uh, humans interacting with the machines, uh, the fact that, you know, they were not interacting with another uh, human being. Uh, in, so in the voice assistant area, there is, there is uh, work uh, in different directions, uh, genderless voice, uh, introducing uh, alternatives, uh, you know, possibility to change. Uh, but there, is, there are uh, <clears throat> new and interesting and positive developments in other areas as, as, as well, where uh, AI is uh, uh, used uh, in recruitment software, in uh, uh, identifying, uh, for example, one, so, one uh, application uh, I know about, and I, I wanted to use at UNESCO, but we couldn't uh, do it at the time, uh, you have an application that uh, uh, tracks the uh, the uh, the speaking time by male and female uh, participants in different conferences uh, to see even when you have uh, gender balanced panels expert panels sometimes the speaking time uh, that uh, is allowed for different genders uh, can be very telling. So there are a lot of new applications which are trying to uh, look at the issue from a gender equality perspective. I know there are many applications that are being developed by young women to address uh, issues specific to women. Uh, in Kenya, for example, a group of five Kenyan uh, young girls developed an application uh, to prevent female genital mutilation. Uh, there are applications for to help uh, uh, victims of uh, violence uh, in uh, conflict situations. Uh, so uh, these are the ones that are really very promising and very uh, uh, positive in terms of using AI. Uh, for government. Yeah, so it's fascinating. Gender equality to help uh, 
uh, women with specific issues and uh, to protect uh, them against uh, uh, violence, among other things. Mm. Yeah, it's fascinating. So it's the proof that we can really use the same technology to actually address these problems instead of creating more. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think the more we think along those lines, the, the, the better it will be for everybody concerned. Essentially, essentially. So we're reaching the end here, and I think a, a good place to close this conversation might be to ask you what your thoughts on what the future holds in respect of AI. How do you see this collaboration of human-machine unfolding? Well, I mean, it's one, uh, one thing is for sure. It's uh, here uh, to stay. And uh, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, I think it's really critical. And I want to repeat it. I know it's, uh, I'm repeating myself, but I think it's really important to understand uh, that technology is not something external to us. Technology is developed by us for use by humans, and uh, we, it cannot be only a technical, uh, technological uh, concern, uh, because technology is uh, uh, created in society by us, it reflects our own biases and our own assumptions. Uh, and uh, the only way to make sure that uh, we minimize the negative impact of our uh, biases and assumptions is to be aware of them. And uh, awareness requires uh, diversity, awareness requires inclusion, uh, and awareness uh, requires uh, being really uh, honest and open-minded about uh, the work that we are doing. I hope that uh, uh, we fix, we all address these serious uh, gender biases in AI now, uh, so that uh, as the technology develops and uh, is used uh, more and more, uh, we do not have to uh, deal with uh, uh, more serious uh, repercussions because already only the voice assistants are affecting the socialization of so many young minds. Yes, um, thank you for spending over an hour here in the conversation with us today. For people, um, we will have the reports available um, with a link to this conversation. Uh, for people trying to learn more or contact you personally after hearing this conversation, what's your advice? Uh, my advice is to uh, publicize the uh, uh, findings of the report, uh, you know, engaging in conversations uh, and, and voicing your concerns because, uh, you know, without uh, uh, feedback from the consumer, technology companies will just continue to deliver uh, what uh, they are used to delivering. So I think it's really important that we also uh, make uh, make sure that uh, we do speak up. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great to have you here. Thank you very much, Kelly. I appreciated the opportunity. Mm -hmm.